Testing one, two. Testing one, two. And let's uh, let's pray together. Father, we just uh, uh, we just come we come in hearts that are just rejoice. Father, it's just a wonderful, wonderful day of worship and celebration uh, in Jesus Christ. And Father, I am so so mindful of even uh, the focus of today's uh, teaching and message that just brings us uh, centered on Christ. And uh, and today in our time of worship corporately, that as we celebrate this um, Palm Sunday, uh, Father, that I pray your spirit will just give us uh, just, again, a greater uh, appreciation and depth to the significance of this entry of Christ, our Savior, that begins this, uh, this, this entry to ultimately in Friday his death. And even uh, so um, appropriate as we even continue in our study of First Peter that just starts with this remembrance of that in so many ways. And so I just do pray that your spirit will just guide us today in our discussion, in our study of your word and the significance that it just brings in direct application of our own lives as we navigate uh, just suffering in this world, but ultimately into the victory through Christ. And we just uh, pray now uh, that you would just commit this time to you and for your purpose and glory, in Christ's name, amen. It's, a, it's again, just because of time uh, restraints today, is that as I w- prepared the passages that I will be covering, which is verses chapter 4, verses 1 to 6, which is a continuance it's appropriate that I would have this connectivity between the two since they're directly related in so many ways. And today I, I really want to po- focus primarily on verse 1 of chapter 4. But there are four, four questions that we'll, I want you to just to be reflecting on as we go through our time to, today in sharing of this passage that you can reflect on and to think through as we open it up for discussion. The first question is that Peter exhorts his readers to arm themselves for the same purpose. And so the question would be is, is what is this same purpose? So we'll try to dig very deep into the significance of that. The second question is really a, a parallel type of teaching and messaging that Jesus himself gave his disciples in chapter 10, uh, verses 38 and 39. And we'll kind of look at some of the, the similarities in the content of that, of what Peter is exhorting his readers and then this challenging part of verse 1 where it talks about this reference to those for he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. And so this question of who is the one, or this quote, quote who is the he who has suffered in that particular passage? We'll try to look at some various perspectives on that. And then lastly is that what a very profound and thought question and so, so appropriate and timed is that what has sin done to Christ and to Christians will be sort of a a throw question out to you for discussion. And I want you to be thinking and meditating on some of those as we go through this study because it is so appropriate that as we begin even the study today, of in depth in the corporately of this passage, uh, whether not sure he's going to choose Matthew of the triumphal entry or he's going to choose Luke, but yet um, I love the Luke portion of that passage the best because of some of the significant things that point to it. But what it is, it's really a reflection of this this entry and what is uh, what does it mean to us? 
And does it prepare us individually for what occurs on Friday and Resurrection on Sunday? And I think that there's a lot of parallel between the two. So kind of an open-ended question, which we'll, time permits, we'll dig into that. The last several weeks, three, uh, actually it took us three weeks to get through um, these passages here, which go back. And so if you want to open up to First Peter, we're gonna, I want to go back and I want to bridge. Because we've often talked about how the Spirit just brings connectivity to the Word in itself. And there is direct connectivity in understanding content and meaning in verses 1 through 6 of chapter 4 by going back and remembering. And so, if you go back to chapter 3, verses 18, just to kind of use this as sort of a review slide for a couple for purposes, is that in this is that we looked primarily at, at this, titled it this victory in Christ's suffering. For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, and having put, been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which also he went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison, who were disobedient when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Corresponding to that, baptism now saves you, not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who is at the right hand of God, having gone into heaven after angels and authorities and powers have been subjected to him. Christ's ultimate suffering at the first part of this verse, which is we start where Christ died once for sins, was we see this victory that was ultimately accomplished where then all was subjected to him. And so if, if I was to look at it from this main theme or main point that we saw in that passage is that Christ gained his greatest victory at the time of his greatest suffering. Think about that. His greatest victory was accomplished at the time of His greatest suffering. Christ died. Christ won. It was this bearing of sins. As we talked in this passage of a connection between this model and Christ, we're in review that His victory through suffering. He was made for us as a model. Peter reminds us, going back in chapter 2, verses... 21, for to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps. 1 Peter 2, verse 21. And so the key thought that we see in this life of Christ, the key thought in those verses that we've studied over the last three weeks, in 18 to 22, is that Christ suffered unjustly at the hands of demons, at the hands of men. And what we're going to make a, a direct connection with this is just sin. It's going to be a key focused word in these new verses in 1 to 6. Christ triumphed through the resurrection, and like him, we too can triumph over unjust suffering. And the four areas that we spent over the weeks in as we focused in depth to this sin-bearing aspect that we saw, he died once for all for sins. This triumphant Amazing proclamation where Christ goes to these demons that were in this bound prison 
to proclaim his victory over them and over death. It just gives me chills thinking of this. Is that when Christ died, and I want you to think through these events, even through this week, as you think of even what occurs that when we have, you know, Friday, when we worship and celebrate in study even of Good Friday, that from Christ, at the point of Christ's death in the tomb, to the resurrection on Sunday, is that we saw in those preceding verses, it said that he went. He went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison. Those were those demons that were bound. And it went back just in the context specifically to the days of Noah. We saw that direct link to this abomination of themselves and that they were pursuing strange flesh. God placed them in prison and Christ going and in your face, I win, you lose. The triumphant salvation in Christ. This beautiful, beautiful picture of this reference to how eight persons were saved through the water. They were saved from judgment. In this picture that we had, it wasn't about baptism. And clearly it says, you read it by removing the, the clause in here. It says, corresponding to that, baptism now saves you through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It was a qualifying statement to simply just say is that it's not an external, it's the internal. It is the immersion that we have in Christ. That's what this baptism means, to be in Christ. And so this picture of these eight persons, these eight souls that were saved in the ark, sealed by God through judgment of the water. It's a beautiful picture of salvation. And as believers in Christ, we are in Christ we are baptized, we are immersed in Christ through and saved through judgment. Great picture. And then finally, his triumphant supremacy. What we said is that all authorities were subject to him. He was seated at the right hand of God, this place of power, of recognition, of rule. So with that, as we take about go transitioning from what Jesus has been teaching again, this main message... Spirit has been teaching Peter, but Christ is gaining, again, summarizing this main point, Christ has gained His greatest victory at a time of His greatest suffering. And so now it transitions from not only this positional aspect of truth that we'll dig into, to this very practical, because as you read through the verses in 4, 1-6, to it starts getting into some very specific sin. And so, our objective, we titled this section, Mark and I, The Navigating Unjust Suffering. What does God want us to learn? And what does He want us to do? And I believe at the end of the day, it is that we would joyfully endure suffering as Christ did. And that we might, like Christ, have a separation from the world. And that is, I think, the messaging we're going to see within this next section is that when I look at this, is that we're going to see a bunch of stuff that just messed up the world <laughs> in words described in those passages. We're going to see this call to be separate from them and almost even surprised by those that you do, <laughs> that you do look different. And then ultimately, again, this joy, this great passage in Hebrews 12:2 that for the Joy set before him. Christ endured. You know, um, I got my first um, Garmin a few years ago. Not, I'm kind of 
Because the reason I didn't really get a Garmin is because I always figured out I was going to go somewhere, and I never trusted the old garments. You know, I don't know how you transition into uh, any types of those map things. But when I got, the, I don't like someone telling me what to do. You know, someone telling me what to go, where to go. And go left, go right, turn right here. Especially, it's that voice in there. And then, what happens when you make a right, a wrong turn? What is it, Dash, doing? What's the word? It's recalculating. Recalculating. You cannot. You cannot get it right. And so, I'm going to try to draw a parallel because when we talk about this word navigating, it is that's the word. That's the picture that I had in my mind. Is that is that navigating is is that how do you go from here to there and how what are the things? And I think that for the purpose of our study of these six verses, there are three things that I want to use to bridge, which would be those things, perspectives, of future perspective, present perspective, and past. Okay? So, in other words, when I'm using some places that I know where I'm going, there is a, a perspective into the future of that. Okay? And in that process is that I, it'll be put in my, des- my destination, and then I say, go, right? <laughs> And it sets out the course, and you go at it. And sometimes it's a little bit like our own lives, isn't it? We know the destination, and we hit press go. And what happens daily? Recalculating, recalculating, because we've made a right turn when we should have stayed the course going straight. Okay? Sound familiar? Maybe just me. So, The present... The present is, is the circumstances that we have right now. In other words... The reason is I turned right was because there was a roadblock there that it didn't pick up on it. And so it was an obstacle there. And I had to kind of go around it. And I would just kind of cut through a few parking lots to get around and it's still. So we assess the present in my situation. And then, of course, the past is that my experiences that I'm always looking about, I know where I've gone because at some point I'm going to look back at that. And I'm going to draw, again, just for the purpose of... Uh, an analogy from that is that this first part of this verse in uh, chapter 4 says, therefore, is that part of our goal or objectives is that we would recognize through this passage that the absolute worst thing that can happen to a believer suffering unjustly, suffering even unjustly to death is actually the best thing that could happen. Because it means the end of sin. Now, we're going to read the passage and you'll see the conclusions I've drawn from this as, a, as a, an objective is that as we recognize the worst thing that can happen as a believer, right? We know what the future destination is. In that process is going to be suffering. Ultimately, even unto death. Uh, we're all going to die. We're all going to die. And actually, what the focus of today will be is that in that death is actually the best. It's the best. So, a challenging passage nevertheless, but it allows us to kind of look at it. And so that's why this, therefore, we there. Okay, let's uh, open up your Bibles to 4, and as we begin this passage... I'm going to spend a, a few uh, slides here just kind of looking at content. And if you just go through, you can see under title, uh, room number one there, Armed for Suffering, verses 4, 1 to 6, is the content. And I'm going to just go through a, a few things on that before, as we transition into uh, verse 1 by way of... 
So I'd like to, first of all, uh, everything that we've seen, titled this thing, Armed for Suffering, everything from the previous verses that we just looked at and read is focused on a preparation or preparing Peter's readers. It not only is for Peter's readers, it is for believers, it is for us, and it's this main theme like we talked about, and that is, is how do you suffer well? It is about preparation for suffering well. Tough, tough passages. But what I have been, a word that just keeps uh, ringing home with me as I've studied this is that reflecting and being reminded of things. In other words, in that reminder process is that I've been able to pull, you pull out the significant aspects of the passages that help us to prepare. Because again, remember, the future the present and the past, is that we know where we've been. And what happens is we don't always know what is ahead yet, do you? In other words, please tell me what the next suffering is in your life. Can you tell me what it is? We do not know. Do we know that what that what might look like or anything else? And so, therefore, it is the key theme throughout this is that it's about suffering, but it's also the exhortations of preparation. It's been very practical up to this point. But these passages from 18 all the way to 4.6 are really more of preparing types of verses for future. Away from some of the practical things, but in each of these, it brings us back to this remembrance. Okay, now, this to his readers. And I wanted to give you a, just a, a, ask you a question. It's, as I ask the question, and just your knowledge of what's happened in the past... And I just gave you some verses here. Go with me here on these. And I'm going to ask you a question at the end of these verses here. So let's start first of all as I look at um, just verse chapter 1, verses 6 to 9. Reading that. In this you greatly rejoice, though, uh, though now for a little while, I, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. And it goes on from there. That the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy, inexpressible, full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Slide over to chapter 2, verse 19. It says, For this is commendable if because of conscience toward God one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. I'm reading from the New King James, by the way. In chapter 4, verse 14. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Chapter 5, verses 6 to 10. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that He may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon Him, for He cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he will devour. So, the question that I'm seeing here is that up to this point, as Peter is writing to, his, to these scattered believers, from those verses... What is your perspective on the extent of that suffering? How would you 
How would you give it a rating out of 1 to 10 and then describe it? What would be based on those passages and some of the descriptions? It's, it's almost building uh, some momentum from the standpoint. And I believe that that's the, 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 the response, too, because one of the things as we look at um, in the passage we're going to look at in chapter 4 is that, is he preparing us to die? In other words, they're alive, and yet no specific reference up to this point in, in, in the book that they themselves were killed. That's just, as I was kind of looking at the momentum of the fact is, is that there has been very serious, intentional suffering and even unjust to it, knowing Nero itself. And eventually, is Peter himself preparing them for what was inevitable, and that was their martyrdom, potentially. There's more to add to that, Mark. I totally agree. And to add to that is that when you go back, to, uh, and I went back to Peter's life, that he was at the feet of Jesus' teaching, that he himself misunderstood what suffering meant. He, didn't, he never got fully that when Christ said that I, uh, Luke 9.51, that I will set my face to go to Jerusalem. In other words, what he was messaging was, is I'm going to die. That's going to be the message of today. He was going to die. He had purposed to die. And yet, the disciples didn't get it, Peter even himself. We see that. So, I, I, part of it is, is that it is this full understanding that he has. And there's also a great passage we'll look at to affirm that, is that where Jesus even tells Peter what kind of death he's going to have which basically says, you're going to die and you're going to glorify me. So it was a martyred death. that he was, So he, he was telling him up front. And so I, I think there's a great connection to that. I think he does now. <laughs> I think he does now. <laughs> I really do. At, at, at the time, Marlene, in that passage in Luke, I don't think he got it because immediately after that, he was worried about, again, themselves. They, he'd lost the focus of that in the immediate verses that follow that that question. We'll, we'll look at that in there, but I believe the answer is no. He gets it now. And in fact, what is not only does he get it, but I also believe is that there is such a great um, shared perspective of getting it between Paul and Peter. When you look at the passages in Paul's epistles, to live as Christ, to die is gain. There is this already embraced perspective of that. So, what I'm getting at is, I believe that it, part of this is this preparation for suffering well, but I'm going to expand it. It's preparation for dying well. <laughs> Christ. I think a significant portion of suffering is that suffering comes on us, and if we don't know it's coming, the surprise magnifies the suffering. Here, if we know that suffering is coming, that takes that element out of it. It may bring it not down to a 1, but it may bring it from an 8-5. That, that element is now lost. We are, we are knowing that we will suffer. It's perfect. Remember, future, present, past. What, what, what did Christ exhort his 
disciples. He said to watch and pray. And that was so that they would not enter temptation. What does it say? It says that the flesh is weak. It's, maybe I reversed those. The spirit is strong, the flesh is weak, right? We, and so therefore, in that, is, it is this getting off the flesh. Because there was this element of surprise. And so this exhortation for the future is that we are watching and praying with alertness to what comes into our lives. No surprise. Saw it coming. That's the navigating part. Saw it coming in the map in there. Christ said we were going to suffer. The present of this aspect of it is that we live in a hostile world, sinful world. And so there is this hating of evil. It is hating of sin that believers. And so in this passage, there's an exhortation to flee that. The other part of the passage is this past, or even it's this reflection. I love it where Peter says, no longer. No longer. In other words, you look backwards to say, that's where I was, but no longer. So it's the past, it's the present, it's the future. Thank you. One key word, and again, still in the content here. The key word, I believe, within this uh, passage is this word hapalizo in Greek, which is to arm. To arm. It starts off in that passage, uh, it says, therefore, since Christ suffered for the flesh... Arm yourselves. I want to I'll focus a great deal into this one word of, of to arm. And the reason of the significance of this is because this is this call. It is no longer a time of just practical. It is a time of exhortation of knowing your positional truth, but then living the practical application of this thing. To arm, it is this picture that we have, and we'll dig into the word of arm, which is this picture in preparation for battle. Believe it or not, the battle. And this uh, word, this hapalizo, it means to arm. Your, ver- your version, it, it's, even, it's like to equip. And it, in, in it, it is, a, uh, it is this significant call to believers that they're going to face persecution. How do you face it? And that, this per- that there is this unwavering position because it's, it's gonna, you're going to see that it has military content to it. The, the significance of the word. It is this putting on. It is this word of armor that we see like in Ephesians 6. That is the same. You know, you arm yourself. You have two options. Either you arm yourself. But sometimes a Christian you your Bible, you fight it. <laughs> I love it. I love that. Here's what I'll paraphrase what you just said. This is a call from Peter for warriors, not wimps. No. <laughs> I think especially in this country, salvation, they are not all understanding of this lost. And then Peter was when he was following Jesus around. One day your eyes, oh, wow, we got into. And then it began. It, it, it's embedded in all of Jesus' teaching. You know, it's the... Building the house on the rock and not on the sand. I mean, it is really this foundation of truth that allows us to weather whatever flood is going to hit us in our lives. It is this, that foundation that you were talking about, Cheryl. And I, I want to get our, our minds into a military perspective, okay? Because this is really at the content of it, because it's no more 
babying. In fact, they are the adversary, and that passage we looked at, is prowling. There is this attacking that is you see in there, and so therefore, it is this significant call to arms. It says to arm yourselves also with the same mind. And so we're going to uh, dig into that. It is a battle. Direct correlation there. One aspect of the Greek army was called the hopolito, or the lightly armored, swiftly or thing going on. First to react because they were lightly armored. I'm going to build on that too. Now, we need... I need heavy armor. Okay? We're going to go with this with big guns. Not... And so, it, this is it. I, this term almost, when we get into this... this because even like in the, the noun of that, the hapalan, which is the noun of that verb, is simply just, you, you see that when they went to, uh, it described the Pharisees in the, um, in the soldiers that went to get Christ in, you know, in the garden, and they were said that they were, they were armed with weapons. These were soldiers. And so this, it, it almost has this content of this heavenly. And, and the reason I want to, to build on that is the heavily armed because of that which you just said, Mick. Is that we the, some, the Satan is just going to water this thing down and just say like you know I don't worry so much about that. Flesh is weak. So <clears throat> there are four perspectives that we're going to look at. I believe that serve as sort of a, like a motivation for his listeners, his readers, but also for us as believers. To develop a sense of, of strength or strong when righteousness brings suffering and, I'm going to keep adding, even martyrdom. Not knowing. Okay, and I don't know this because you can't t- tell it from the text itself, but where in the spectrum of his writing and where are these scattered believers, where is martyrdom? Has it occurred already? Is it forthcoming? Either way, it's just as you look at this, there's a perspective of helping you and I because the Lord is not done with us yet. Okay, um, in uh, the Luke passage, in the Hosanna passage, my favorite couple words in all of that passage is where is the little section where the Jesus is tells his disciples to go and get the little donkey. I'm going to bring it up to the community group, but just so you get an insight, Mick. It is this where he says, "The Lord has need of it." Apply that to you personally. We're here, five, the Lord has need of you at this point. So the Lord takes us, and if He takes us, He has need of us there. So, the four areas or perspectives is helping us to strengthen. In other words, again, I'm going to try to get into this military perspective, right? This is boot camp. Within this boot camp is that we would develop this strengthened resolve. And the first one is that when those... Warriors that are arming with an understanding of the fullness and the attitude of Christ. The attitude of Christ will be our central focus in the understanding of verses uh, chapter four, verse one. In ver- chapter two, excuse me, in verse chapter four, verse two, we've been looking at the will of God. I'm just pulling out some of the key words that we'll look at. In verses three to five, we're going to look at a transformation from the past. There is this word past, and then finally is this hope of eternal life in verse 6 of chapter 4. So now we get to the passage.
Someone want to read the passage, this 1 Peter 4? You can read it from there. This is the NASB uh, version I have up here. Someone want to read it, and we can follow along. Therefore, since Christ has suffered so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, out the desires of the Gentiles, having pursued idolatries, all this they are surprised that you do not with them, patient, find you. It will give account to him which the living and the dead. Gospel has for this purpose been preached. Those who are dead, though they are judged in the flesh as men, they may live in the spirit according to the will of God. Thanks, Cheryl. Our, this blue line is just sort of our focus for today and uh, beginning of next week here. But this is this aspect of the attitude of Christ. And we see it within, it says, arm yourselves with this same purpose. And so we will focus on in this defining what the same purpose is, is a direct relationship to having this attitude of Christ, that Christ exemplified. The second perspective that Peter will share is the will of God. That in the time, in other words, the days that you and I have left, to the days to his readers have, that they would live no longer for the flesh, but they would live for the will of God. So what is the will of God? We see in this third perspective is this transformation that occurs from the past, where it says that you no longer, that you no longer live for this. And it says that there is this surprise, in fact, that that you don't run with them anymore. This is clearly a transformed life that we see being lived out. And then finally, this fourth perspective of hope of eternity, that we may live in the Spirit. Doesn't Look back at, chapter, at verse 18. You see a connection in these words here, that we may live in the Spirit according to the will of God. That is... If you look back at verse 18, it makes a connection with that. Remember this reminder here? It's, it said, For Christ suffered once for sins, the just, for the end, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made what? Alive. Alive in the Spirit. Here it is, is again, why there's a direct link here, is that we have this eternity focus that they may live in the Spirit according to the will of God. It's a direct connection between these two sections of passages that Peter's sharing with us here. And I kind of wrote those out here because I believe, again, not knowing, but yet there is part of this content that in the messaging that Peter is getting to his readers is that physical death is not the end. It's coming, but it is not the end. It is not the last word for believers especially those who have died in Christ. And it says in 1 Peter 3.18, you read that, that Christ was crucified and died, but vindicated by being raised by the Spirit. This vindication means that He was cleared from accusation. And then the link here to 1 Peter 4.6, that some believers had already died. Because if you look at this, it says here, the Gospel has been preached even to the dead that though they are judged according to the flesh as men, they may live in the Spirit, even to those believers that had already died, but they're embracing this Gospel and ensures them that they will live by the Spirit. That's where you and I are in at this point. A connection again, that in focus here, is that physical death in itself is not the end. It is not the last word for believers. 
and those that have died in Christ. And so the challenging focus of this passage is of navigating through unjust suffering, this arming for suffering to a level of maturity. I'm going to go back to what you said, Cheryl, because I think it's just spot on. The maturity in that perspective that takes us there without surprise and with a confidence, with a knowledge, with a foundation of, of that positional truth in Christ that can now be lived out. That, I believe, is where this is going. To his readers, think about it. And to you and I, even as those that we have the privilege to study the passage, at times we find our flesh, what? Thinking uncomfortable thoughts about death, don't we? It's, it's, our, it's our nature. Why? Because there is a sin nature that we are, what? Embattled with every day. I love Paul says what? I die daily. <laughs> he dies daily. My interpretation of that is that he lived on the very edge. <laughs> think about it. I, I, not that he was just careless in any way, but I think like he was always in the fight. He was your front guys, wasn't he? He was up front. And there was such courage that I felt was founded in Paul on the confidence. That courage was founded in the confidence of Christ. So, watch my time here. So as we look through this, starting in verse 1, here we go. Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose, because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. The cross of Christ is ultimately the proof that Christ endured the suffering. He had under divine judgment, he died the just for the unjust. This was again review. Yet he also accomplished for believers this greatest triumph. Christ died for the unjust and triumphed through it. And as a result, the victory that he accomplished once for all, even to the forces of evil, where all were subject to him and it was seated at the right hand of the Father. Armed for suffering. So as we begin this passage, Peter connects us to the previous section with a key summation. And that is, he says that Christ suffered in the flesh. In your versions in your particular Bible, I would liken it to what we saw in verse 18. Depending on the version is that your your Bible may have said that Christ died. Or that Christ had suffered. He suffered in the flesh that he died. Tell me, what... what, um, what is the significance between the two of those? Or are they the same? Your thoughts? Do you know what a euphemism is? Buddy? <laughs> Heard of that word? Euphemism? Katie, you know what it, Tell me you what it, I'll give you... <laughs> That's perfect. It is a nice word for something that is bad. Okay. And so what happens is, is that even, I'm going to go back to what Mick was saying in there, is that you don't want to talk about the bad part of it, which is death. But you may take suffering as the easier of the two words. They're interchangeable, sequentially, but they're interchangeable. In other words, and I was just, again, this is the New King James that I was reading, it says, uh, For Christ also suffered once for sins. Christ also died once for sins. They're interchangeable. But I I share this because 
I think from an application standpoint, I want to get you to thinking about the harsh, the true, ultimate proof of that, which is Christ's death. In other words, what did sin do to Christ is that he killed him. So it connects us with this previous section of passage, and I want to dig to that level of perspective, and we're not going to make it a happy, happy, happy thought. We're going to make it a real, truthful perspective. I believe that's what Peter wants his readers. And again, just from a perspective, when we looked at all of those trials and suffering, is that was he preparing them for death, for martyrdom? So. Yeah, I, I totally appreciate that. And that articulation represents, I believe, his intent is. In other words, that he is getting them to this that level of perspective because the flesh it, it challenges that in other words even to the standpoint is that I, I don't want to die because I want to enjoy the pleasures of and you're going to see these things it's like you no longer do that I believe that can only be a spirit filled perspective and I believe that's part of what he is bringing us to, in, you know, from the from the context of his readers. We see passages that clearly, clearly point to this purposed plan of redemption through Christ, and that that is the focus of this week, and ultimately to Friday is that. That's why that one kind of that thought question I had is is that what did sin do to Christ? You just described it. All of those things. That was sin that did that to him. So therefore, you hate it. You hate sin. This is this place. And that's why you can make a statement and saying death is the best. Because you are with Christ. And so Christ experienced both in there. And in that death in itself, even the separation from God and the forsaking. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So it is all purpose for this perfect redemption plan. He came in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin. It's an important perspective on this because as we look at that, um, this offering for sin is that this, what you're going to see is that this listings of sins, what it looks like, and what sin has done to the world, and what sin has did to Christ, and what sin is doing now to those that are not saved. And yet Christ came in the likeness of sinful flesh as an offering for sin. The therefore, Peter commands his readers to arm yourselves with weapons or armor. And this is what I referred to earlier, was this hoplon, which is this noun form of the verb, which is these weapons or armor that we'll see in this. Now, I, I like the, um, you know, the first images that I have is I, like when in 2 Corinthians, Paul talks about this, this armor of righteousness, and he has like in his right hand and in his left hand, he refers to here to this, the sword of the Spirit, you know, and then shifts to these other aspect of this shield of faith is sort of the perspectives that I have. But is this call for believers to be arming themselves 
for this perspective, for an understanding in a, the fullness of perspective as it relates to how we view suffering. And Mark, beyond, thank you for sharing that because I believe that it, it can only be when we are armored that we can articulate that so well because it is from a heart perspective and with the fullness of understanding that is going back from that. So it says in verse, chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose. Maybe in your Bible you have a different word in there. What might you have instead of purpose? Pardon? Same mind? Same way of thinking? In, in, In the word is same attitude. It is the same purpose. It's the attitude. It's the thought. It's the same principle. And so with that in itself, we see this, that believers are called to arm themselves with the same purpose or the same at mind. And so what that represents is that be willing to die knowing it produces this greatest victory. So as we look at whatever we deal with, and I'd like to, if we could, just take a second and look at some of these passages because I think that they're just really deep and help us. So let's go to Philippians 2, first of all. Philippians 2. Let this mind, let this attitude, let this purpose, let this thought, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, even death of the cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and given him the name above every name. The name of Jesus, every knee should bow, and of those in heaven and of those on earth and those under the earth. That this call for the, to die knowing it produces ultimately this greatest victory. To, that we would be prepared for this. Um, the... The First Corinthians 15. I, I have some of these marked here. I can read them. First Corinthians 15, verses 53 and 54. It says, For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on Im- immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immorality, then, Im- immorality then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. Death is swallowed up. 2 Timothy 1.10 Physical death no longer is a threat to believers. 2 Timothy 1 verse 10. And the passage that Marlene was referring to is in John. John about Peter's, Jesus' exchange with Peter. You go back to John chapter 21. Remember when Jesus was asking him, you know, do you love me? Three times. John chapter 21. Someone read that. 18 to 19. True picture. I say to you, impress yourself or carry you. I love that part of it. He says, by what death he would glorify God. This was Peter's his martyrdom. It was this victory, ultimately, how he was going to die for Christ was this picture. 
Because it, in that death, is that Peter's death, it glorified God. It's part of the passage. It's wonderful. See, is that there's this willingness to die. I think Peter remembered this, that Jesus had said to him in his own life. He got it. So it is better to suffer for Christ than to suffer with the world. And this is ultimately this perspective, this Christ-like example that we see. So in closing for today, it's just to put on your armor. Ephesians 6, 1, 6, 11, and 2 Corinthians 10. Put on the armor. And you know, I have to throw in just a extra credit. It's it's the it's the Hebrews four twelve passage too. You know, it's the the word of God being powerful and living and active and more more sharper than any two edged sword. It is these this warfare. It, it's in Ephesians six that we're putting on these that we see. And in that Second Corinthians passage, it, it's this beautiful picture of the of the equipped or the armed warrior. The war. 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3, 4, it says this. Though, for now, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. This, this is the fortresses that we see casting down arguments in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. In that passage, this is uh, like a divinely powerful type of destruction of the, of the fortresses. It is this armor that we'll, we'll pick up next week. So draw a line in your, your handout there, and we'll pick back up with this because I'm out of time. I know time's really good. It's, I know it's talking about physical death, but I can't help but also talking about as we are still on earth just dying to ourselves, that God just keeps coming in life. It's well, not just about physical God. I mean, yeah, I think it is, but you know what I mean? It, well, and to your point, is that when you look, is that when you reconcile, who does he mean that it, you cease from sin in the next part of the passage? It, it, it is this perspective as being freed from sin, dying to sin. Okay, that's exactly how it, where it goes with that. It's a great segue into our discussion for time. Okay, other thoughts that I, or we can kind of go from there? Okay, let me uh, close in prayer. Father God, thank you uh, for, for this, your truth. Father, we're reminded of our position in Christ and what Christ <coughs> has done. And yet, uh, even from this passage, we're reminded of ultimately Christ's perfect example. His sacrifice for us and the bearing of our sins once, once for all the just for the unjust. And Father, that has He has accomplished ultimately the greatest triumph through all. And yet, as believers here, that we You, you have purpose for us and that we can live life um, in a pursuit of Christ. And yet, to navigate through the challenges that always attempt to thwart that uh, focus. And so we just thank you for the privilege that we can share in your word today and just pray you bless the time of fellowship today and, uh, for Catherine and for her ministry as well and for our time of corporate worship together. And we just commit this to you in Jesus' name. Amen.